Good morning. I'm going to be reading our scripture passage for today. We're going to be continuing on in Hebrews, and I'll be reading chapter 12, verses 14 to 17. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Well, good morning again. Hopefully I'm coming through now. No? I know I didn't turn it back on mute. <laughs> hello, hello. Checking, one, two. I can always grab a mic if you want me to. It's coming through now? It's not coming through. Okay, I'll grab a mic. How's that? Hey. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so at the beginning of the service, I had my pack on mute. So it wasn't Dave's fault on sound or Bill's on live stream sound, and I apologize if you couldn't hear me before. I just wanted to mention, in case you're wondering, um, our senior pastor, Jonathan, and our Minister for Community Life, Joanna, are not here today. They are supporting Pastor Phil Evans, who is concluding his ministry at Hawkesbury Valley Baptist Church today. So they're over there. Uh, so it's my privilege to be leading us today in the um, message from God's Word. My name is Chris Cullen. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here at WDBC. If I haven't met you before and you're new here, I'd love to have the opportunity after the service to meet with you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, founder and perfecter of our faith, help us today to understand your living word by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the grace of God our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to do something pretty risky here this morning, and um, I'm going to ask you to participate with me in an exercise, and I'm not exactly sure what the end result will be. <laughs> Sounds a bit risky um, to me, might sound a bit risky to you. They say um, that lawyers in court should never ask a question of a witness that they don't know what the answer is going to be. And I feel a little bit like that, um, but I'm not a lawyer. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so this is something a little bit different for a sermon, but it'll just be for the first part. I'm going to ask you all, if you would, just for a moment, please, could you all stand up? 
If you're at home watching on live stream, you can stand up too if you want. And this won't hurt anyone. <laughs> and no one will be asked to volunteer for do, to do anything. But what I'm going to do is, in a moment, I'm going to give you four different statements or scenarios. And if you've ever heard anyone say something like this, then I'm going to ask you to sit down. Okay, so it's not whether or not it's happened to you. It's whether you've ever heard anyone say that this has happened to them. So the first one is this. Sit down if you've ever heard anyone say something like, I used to go to church, but the church that I was at had this big split, and so I stopped going. Or the church I was at had a massive argument, and so I stopped going. So for those who are at home, a few people have sat down. The second statement or scenario. Have you ever heard anyone say something like this? I used to go to church, but it was full of hypocrites, so I stopped going. Now, there's a few more people have sat down. Okay, third statement is this one. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I used to go to church, but then uh, sort of life happened. Other stuff, you know, sport for the kids or work, and, and I sort of stopped going for a while, and, and then I just never really started going again. Okay, we've had a few more sit down. There's, there's still a few standing, but not too many. Now, this last one is a sensitive one, uh, and I'm saying that in a serious way. I'm not trying to make fun of this in any way. This is a sensitive one. Have you ever heard anyone say or known someone who has said, I used to go to church, and I'm going to expand this out to school, a Christian school, but the pastor, teacher, priest, or someone else there sexually abused me, and I'm never, ever going to church again. Okay. There's still a few people standing, and that's, that's fine. I'm glad that you haven't encountered people that have had one of those things happen to them. Please be seated. Before we go any further... We need to pause because this may have become personal for some here. And if one of these things has happened to you, particularly if you were a victim of sexual or other abuse in a church or in a Christian school, or if someone you know was a victim of sexual abuse in a church or a Christian school, I want to say categorically today that that is wrong and it should not have happened. Everyone who truly follows Jesus abhors sexual abuse. There is no justification for it and what was done to you or to the person you know was wrong and sinful and should never have happened full stop, let alone in a church or a Christian school. And whatever the abuser said to you or to your friend, it is not your fault. We are sorry you went through that terrible experience. And if you were a victim of sexual abuse and you're here in church today, 
I, I want to say to you, I, I want to affirm you for your courage for coming back to church. I want you to know that Windsor District Baptist Church is committed to being a place that is safe. We have a safe church policy and we're putting a lot of time and effort into having appropriate procedures and controls to try to ensure that no one who attends WDBC will ever be the victim of any kind of abuse. We're doing everything that we can as a church to be a safe church. And if this has triggered something for you today, I'll be available to pray or to talk with you after the service or you can contact me afterwards or Jonathan or Stephen Cole or if you'd like to speak to a woman, you can talk to Joanna Hoffman or a member of our church, Safe Church team. There are three ladies on our Safe Church team, Kathy Johnson, Barb Camp and Robin Douglas. You can talk to any of them uh, or to Warren Johnson and Tim McManus who are also on our Safe Church team and are available to you. I'm going to pray again and then we'll have a look at God's word. Lord God, we pray now with heavy hearts because we know that right across our city, across Australia and around the world, there are people who have stopped coming to church because of the things that have happened to them. And we know that there may be people here today who have stopped coming to church in the past but are here now. And so we pray for them for healing right now as they sit in their seat. We pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will enfold them in your love. We know that terrible wrongs have been done, sometimes even done in the name of Christianity, that people have been victims of abuse, and as part of your church, Lord God, as followers of Jesus, our hearts are shattered for those who have suffered because of sexual sin. And we know that your heart grieves even more. We pray that today may be part of the process of healing. In your word, Lord God, you promise that you are close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. And so we pray for those in our congregation who are what, or who are watching online who are brokenhearted today and who feel absolutely crushed in spirit. May they know your presence with them today. May they tangibly experience your closeness to them, Lord Jesus Christ. And may they experience your saving grace, which restores and heals. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I know that's a heavy way to start our service, our message. Uh, but I want for each one of us to feel and know and understand the depth of the anguish that can be caused when people do the things that today's passage warns us not to do. We all stood up and I raised various reasons that people stop attending church and gradually most of you sat down and that's a graphic example of why today's message is so important. 
we all need to pay attention to the sermon today because these reasons which are actually listed in our passage these are things which cause people to stop going to church the title of the sermon today is crossing the finish line together and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4 sorry Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 to 17 and the big idea of today's message is that we are called to run as a team now this is the third message in the the chapter of Hebrews 12 in the first message we saw that um, the Christian life is is a race this is in chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 and it's a race where we're running to Jesus the resurrected Christ is our finish line and then in verses 4 to 13 last week's message that Jonathan brought us we learned that we're running with endurance that hardships can be reframed as God's discipline so that we don't drop out before we reach the finish line and in today's passage we're running as a team so that we can cross the finish line together so here's this picture in chapter 12 of a race that's taking place that we are all as Christians called into we're called into this race our goal where we're running towards is Jesus the resurrected Jesus there is hardship along the way and it can be faith can be as Jonathan said last week a, a weary struggle and so we're called to endure and today we look at the fact that we are called to run as a team so the big idea is that that we're we're here to run as a team now in 2020 uh, there was a show on TV called world's toughest race eco challenge Fiji did anyone see that it's just me okay it wasn't on regular TV it was on Amazon Prime okay but it was teams of four people each team had to have at least one male member and one female member um, so that it wasn't all guys um, or all girls um, it was 671 kilometers mountains rivers rock climbing bushwalking mountain biking ocean water kayaking it was exhausting well wasn't exhausting for me watching it but for the people in it it was grueling it was punishing it was intense physically mentally emotionally perhaps even spiritually draining the winning team just think about this 671 kilometers not a flat sort of marathon 671 kilometers up and down and up and down and up and down through the mountainous terrain of Fiji the winning team took five days 21 hours and 23 minutes to compete to complete the race almost six days unbelievable there were 66 teams who entered 22 teams didn't finish 
It was fascinating to watch as teams struggled to stay in the event because they would do whatever it took to assist a team member who was struggling. And so that might mean uh, kayaking, you know, paddling while someone else wasn't paddling or rowing while someone else wasn't rowing, or carrying a backpack for someone who wasn't carrying a backpack. Because you see, if one team member had to stop, the whole team was eliminated. And so it became clear as you were watching the series that that this wasn't really a race to see who could win, although there were teams that were competing to try and win, but this was actually a race where people were competing to finish. They were competing just against themselves. They were competing against the psychological pressure to give up. They were competing against their own bodies, which wanted to give up, and against the physical exhaustion that tempted them to abandon their pursuit for comfort and no one in a team finishes that race or crosses the finish line unless they all cross the finish line that's a really good analogy for the race that is the Christian life it's not a race for individual glory it's not for me to get to the end of life and say I've done it if there's scores of people scattered behind me who don't finish the race. We aren't called to go it alone. And it would be easy to read today's passage and and think that somehow this is just directed at me personally. In fact, I I sort of rewrote it and we might, I'll get, um, Dan, if you could maybe just put the verses on the screen, but I'm going to read the Chris Cullen putting you in the word version. Strive for peace within yourself and for the holiness without which you will not see the Lord. See to it that you do not fail to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble within you so that you become defiled, that you are not sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now, if I read that fast and you weren't looking at the original, you might say, oh, that sounds scriptural. But it's not what I just read. You see, there's a whole bunch of important words in here that make this clear that this passage is not directed to individual people but it's directed to us as the body of Christ. It's directed to us as a group. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's a collective thing. That's, to me, that brings back that imagery of the, the world's toughest race. If one team member doesn't, cross the finish line then none of the team members cross strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau This passage wants us 
to recognise that we are part of the body of Christ and that we are called to run this race, the Christian life, together. We focus our eyes on Jesus. We accept the discipline of God that treats us as sons so that we will endure the difficult times and we come together with our brothers and sisters and we run together to that finish line. So the big idea is that we are called to run as a team. And the big question then is what will stop us running as a team? Well, what will stop us? Here's our outline. The first thing that will stop us is discord in the church. Hypocrites, apostates, that's a complicated word which we'll come back to, and sexual immorality. And then at the end of the passage we have the warning of Esau. It's very negatively framed that, isn't it? It is a warning passage. Uh, But I wanted to frame it in the positive as well. How can we cross the finish line as a team? Have peace with everyone. Strive for holiness together. That's actually in the passage. They are said that way. Hold fast to our confession. And I'll explain how that fits with the passage as we go through. And stay sexually pure. Have peace with everyone. What causes discord in the church? Well, one thing that causes discord in the church is sin against one another. Perhaps you've encountered someone at church who's sinned against you. Or maybe you know someone. Maybe you sat down in that exercise earlier because someone you know was at a church and someone sinned against them. And so they stopped going to church. Peter says to Jesus at one point, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, says Peter. He's trying to be very magnanimous there, isn't he? He's, oh, aren't I good? I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. And Jesus says, no, (laughs) I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. And, and then Jesus goes on to tell this parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant, where there's a, a master who has a servant, and the, the servant has a massive debt. And the master forgives the servant for this massive debt. Okay, you don't have to pay it back. And then servant one goes out and finds servant two. And servant two owes servant one a tiny amount of money. And servant one says, you owe me this money, pay me back. And servant two doesn't have it and can't pay him back and begs for mercy. And servant one says, no, I'm sending you to prison because you can't pay your debt. Now the master hears of this, the master who forgave servant one this massive debt and he calls him in and he says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. God forgives us for our sin. 
how much more ought we to forgive one another when the others sin against us? Sin can cause discord in the church. But we are to maintain a forgiving attitude. We are to seek to, to have peace with our sisters and brothers. Strive for peace. The NIV puts it, make every effort to have peace with everyone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul he talks about when one person has a grievance against another person in the church, uh, even to the point where they were taking one another to court. And Paul says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, he says. And Paul's saying... For the sake of peace and unity in the church, you're better to put up with someone doing the wrong thing, someone ripping you off, someone taking your money. You're better to put up with that and suffer that wrong in order to maintain unity in the church than to take your brother or sister to court. What causes discord in the church? Well, disputes and disagreements about vision, about direction, about staffing, about theology. I was in a church meeting many years ago, and I, and I still remember that this was a, a point of dissension about something that was taking place in the church, and, and I remember one of the, the young men, he might have been in his late teenage years at the time, and, and he became very upset with what was going on in the church meeting. And that young man who's not a young man anymore, as far as I know, does not attend church anymore. How often have we been or have heard about Baptist churches, uh, and it seems to be a Baptist church thing where there's fighting amongst one another. I'm not saying other churches don't have issues. They do. <laughs> We're all humans. But how often have we heard about churches that are fighting with one another? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. Don't insist that you're right all the time. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. How often have we been impatient with brothers, brothers and sisters in a church business meeting? Bearing with one another in love. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Wouldn't it be better to be wronged? Bear with one another in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the prayer of Jesus in John 17 is about for his disciples that they may be one, even as we are one. There ought to be a, a unity amongst us that is as close as the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' prayer for us as the church is that we will be one, that we will be united in mind and purpose, that we will be running together as a team. I, um, I've been following the NBA basketball, the basketball in the US for a few years, and 
it, sometimes you get a team that's got all the superstars on it, but they still don't win because there's disunity in the locker room. You might have heard that. It doesn't matter whether it's basketball or rugby league or cricket or netball. If you've got a team of people that don't have unity, it's hard for them to be united on the playing field, on the basketball court. It's hard for us as Christians to cross the finish line if we're not working together and walking together with our team. Friends, we are the team for one another. We're Team Jesus, if you want to put it like that. I'm not trying to do a Scott Morrison. Um, but we're Team Jesus. We're on the same team. And if there's discord amongst us, many may drop out and not make it to the finish line. We're to strive for holiness together. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Is there anything that turns Australians off more than hypocrites? How many of you have heard Australians say, our oh, people in churches are just all hypocrites? Yeah, a few nods, yeah. It's one of the most commonly thrown accusations against the church. Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. The only people that don't get tarred with that brush are the Salvation Army. Because so many people in the community see that the Salvation Army are helping people. They're there looking after people who have addictions with their op shops and so on. But by and large... In Australia, most people think of the church as hypocrites. Hypocrites are people who don't do what they say. You can go back and um, when they're posted, Pastor Stephen's been preaching some sermons in, a, in the last previous few weeks about hypocritical Christianity and they'll be up on the podcast uh, in the next week or so so you can go back and review those but Australians people in general they don't react well to those that are they talk a big act they, they come across as holier than thou but they don't actually walk the walk in Matthew 5 you've got a whole chapter that that talks about how we should be holy, how we should be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is the summary at the end of Matthew 5 verse 48. It talks about letting your light shine, about not committing adultery in your heart by lusting after others. It talks about those who swear oaths and says you shouldn't swear oaths, you should just let your yes be yes and your no be no. It talks about turning the other cheek when someone does something to you, not trying to retaliate against them with an eye for an eye, but turning the other cheek talks about loving your enemies. There's a high bar 
that's set for us. But the reason it's there is that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if unholy things come into the church, we become hypocritical. And we will find that people will see that hypocrisy and will turn away from Christ. In verse 15... We read, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled, many become defiled. Now this is a, is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 29. And I think it's helpful for us to read that passage Deuteronomy chapter 29, I'm going to read from verse 16, uh, and I'm going to try and do this so that you can get uh, a sense of the gravity of the situation. This is where God is renewing his covenant with the people of Israel. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and this is almost at the end of Moses' time as their leader. And this is what we read you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed and you have seen their detestable things that's the people of Egypt their idols of wood and stone of silver and gold which were among them beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. A man, a woman, a clan, so that's like a family group or a tribe, that's a broader group really representing the whole body of the Israelites. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit one who when he hears the words of this sworn covenant blesses himself in his heart saying i will be safe though i walk in the stubbornness of my heart this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike the lord will not be willing to forgive him but rather the anger of the lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and now it says man but Remember, it's man, woman, clan, or tribe. The anger of God will be against that man, woman, clan, or tribe. And his jealousy, that's God's jealousy, will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out, or her, or the clan, or the tribe, out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. And the next generation, your children will rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. 
all the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers. When we read that passage, and in the middle of the passage we read, Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. That's what is referred to here in the book of Hebrews when it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There's a really stern warning against falling away, against being a person that attends church but says, you know what, I don't worry about what God has said. I'm safe. I'll be okay. The example is given of Esau, and we'll come to him in a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, just a couple of chapters earlier, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're to make sure that one another, that we hold fast to this confession. Remember this passage that we're looking at today is not to you individually or to me individually. This passage is written for us as a team and it's saying, hold fast. Don't make sure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Encourage one another, in other words, to to look to God's grace, encourage one another to lean on God's grace, to be dependent on God's grace. Don't think that you're good enough in your own self because you happen to come to church or you serve as a deacon or an elder or a pastor. Keep encouraging one another to hold on to God's grace. So that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Have you seen someone that used to go to church and they stopped going because life became too busy or, you know, they wanted to prioritise sport or work or something else? Urge that person not to let go of the grace of God. And the final injunctive, if you like to put it that way, that no one is sexually immoral. We've all seen through the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse, we've seen the damaged. Perhaps you know someone that's been damaged, that's been hurt by the church. And um, 
Uh, I know a, a friend of ours in former times was a student at a school that had many cases of sexual abuse. That causes damage to people's understanding of the grace and goodness of God. And it puts up walls between people and a relationship with Christ. We've seen it happen where adultery has taken place in church, where uh, the husband of one woman goes and has the wife of another man. And both families are devastated and the whole church is wounded. We are called to make sure that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And here we have this example. Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You can't escape the connection between this illustration of Esau and the previous verses that Jonathan spoke about last week, which talk about God disciplining us and treating us as sons. Here is Esau, a son who disdains his birthright who sells his inheritance for a meal because he comes home famished from a hard day's work. Those who give up, who find other things more valuable to do with their time, whatever it might be, are compared here to Esau who having given up years later when his brother gets the blessing of the inheritance, Esau seeks to repent, but he can receive no blessing because he treated the grace of God like it was worthless. We're called to run as a team We are a team. In a moment, we're going to be singing a song, uh, and it takes part of the words from the hymn, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And I still remember some years ago, I was at the commissioning of uh, a young lady to go into missionary service, someone I knew, a friend of mine. And I remember her name, um, her, her name is Pip Minor. I remember her saying about this, the, the hymn, so not the song we're singing today, but the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you know the words of one of the verses is, though none go with me, still I will follow. And I remember Pip saying, I don't know how I feel about that. Because if I was on my own, I don't know whether I want to be on that journey if all these people are not with me. We're called 
to go on that journey together. To run the race towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. To endure through hardship, reframing his discipline that he loves us as daughters and sons. And to keep going so that we all cross the finish line together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this might be true for us. That we will put aside discord in our church if there is any. That we will love one another. That we will forgive one another. That we will bear with one another in patience. That we will seek to encourage one another to live holy lives. That we will put aside all sexual impurity. And that we will hold fast to the confession of our faith that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray it in his name. Amen.